hello, it's me, Peter Angela. <laughs> and that's, I like, yeah, uh, welcome, I guess. Welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast for another week. I'm Abby, your friendly, fat, grumpy friend. I'm Rebecca. I'm also grumpy. You know, I'm. I don't I'm think like, that. I've been jaded forever. I don't think that new intro, I thought of it, you know, off the top of my head. I don't think it flew that well. But what we're. That? <laughs> your neighborhood depressed person. Uh, <laughs> so this is the Spooky Succubus cast. We are an anti racist, anti capitalist, intersectional feminist podcast about horror movies. And we try to talk about our problematic faves through an intersectional lens. And they give us a lot to work with. Honestly, like, sometimes I resent these movies for making us do emotional labor. And then I remember that we put ourselves in this position and chose to do this. (laughs) That's true. Barely anyone pays us to do this. Uh, But we do it anyway. Yeah, I'm like... uh just like no one asked one for time us to i be want here. like a really easy movie that is good and great and fine and has no problems but where's the fun in that well this is not that movie this is sleep That's, away camp no. the 1983 camp slasher i meant camp in like a camp way and not a summer campy. camp way <laughs> in both ways it's a campy uh, camp 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 cult classic um directed by a man that something bad has happened to him in his childhood clearly i don't know what robert it was. <laughs> hiltzik um he's done mostly sleepaway camp movies are you okay robert like blink twice hey, if you need help give us a call uh so this is i mean this is truly one of the more like the thing about this movie is it is so unhinged and yet (laughs) it appears like so banal when you're watching it you know it's like right there's like a four minute baseball scene and then there's aunt martha acting like a fucking invasion of the body snatchers over stylized weirdo over there like i don't know i don't know what we do with this the yeah the performances and the shots and the transition of the shots are so strange. It's like it's like as if you had a group project. This feels like a group project movie where no one was talking to each other and it was just like, That's so everybody good. just do what you want and we're going to smoosh it together at the end and we'll see what comes out. I'm not sure but what came out uh, still. Yeah. In the end, um, I still like this movie, kind of. I do too. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll regret saying that, but I do. Judy's t-shirt on it that just says Judy is kind of like I kind of have a little envy for that. I really want t-shirts like that for us that have like let's the, do kind of like you know the like velvety um, iron-on block letters. But I'll wear the one that says Abby, and you can wear the one that says Rebecca. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Christmas I'm present. I'm really happy this week because I don't have to read the plot of this just, like, deranged movie. <laughs> so I'm going to say that we should give the spoiler away up top. I don't know. If you've never seen this movie and you care about spoilers, why are you listening to this podcast, number one? Because we've never, ever said spoiler alert. I don't think we should give the spoiler away up top because I know a lot of our listeners that are my friends that don't like horror movies but like me just listen to this to like, you know, hear the plot yeah. and then hear us talk about it. So that's true. 
I think we should proceed as if. As if. Okay. As if, well, yeah. That's, that'll be, because I can't even tell you what I was hesitant about reading this plot at beforehand. Okay, so it's, you know, it's 1983. A lot of slashers had already come out. Rob's just, like, throwing shit at the wall. And you can really feel it in every I know. sense of the word. This made no sense. There was no continuity at all. Uh, mm. Nothing, like leads you to the identity of the killer at all in the mannerisms <laughs> like you just th- what is this um it defies logic it i mean d- we'll get into the kills logic. but all i'm like what that could never happen no um so suspenseful music grows louder as we see a beautiful 80s san or er, serif sorry not sans serif serif font reading sleepaway camp appears over the background of red and orange fall trees wait but did you see the chiron at the beginning of the movie that was like oh, the dedication to my mother a, a doer. doer at first i was like a doer is that her name like what and then i was like no she's a doer a doer yeah. uh she's a doer of what we don't know, but I assume of traumatizing her child so that he made this monstrosity of a movie. I would say if I dedicated this, if I made this movie and I dedicated it to my mother, she'd be upset. Uh-oh. Bork alert. Yeah, can you imagine making something like this and being like, you know who will love it? My <laughs> beloved mother. I mean, if it wasn't, if the depiction of our only mother figure wasn't so bad, then maybe. Like, if it was just, like, a weird, campy movie, then okay. Give it to your mom, a doer, but... I, I have know. so many questions, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we should carry on. We have a lot to get through here. Let's keep going, yeah. Um, we pan over the pic- picturesque campgrounds as the ominous music continues with disembodied noise of the activities that would have happened around the camp. A sign at the entrance reads Camp Arrowwalk with a for sale sign nailed over top of it. Uh, we're now in a summer greenery and a father and two children are on a little sailboat. Whizzing past the family is a teenage lifeguard and friend driving a speedboat pulling a teen who is not having a good time on a jet ski. Um, the, <laughs> she's she's like, skiing. can I she's leave? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no, shut the fuck up. Um, the friend. They call her a hunchback. <laughs> they're like, you need to stand up straight. Like, you're not even looking at her form. Leave her alone. Don't bring Quasimodo into this. He's not a part of this. <laughs> um, that's the last thing we need. The so the I mean, friend if, who's if Quasimodo showed up in this movie, I wouldn't be that surprised. Because that's how wacky if it turned that out. Goes on. Right. True. Poor Quasimodo. What a sad tale. Truly. Um, I can't, I don't think I could watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I bet it's terrible. It can't, it, there's I no way it stands it being, up. Well, like, I remember it being really problematic. Even when I was like a child, I was like, ooh. And I remember it being really churchy. And I try to avoid churchy things now as an adult makes sense but esmeralda is like sexually assaulted right yeah by like everyone a slender man (laughs) yeah oh yeah actually i'm just realizing now she was probably a sex worker fuck yes oh i'm so dumb disney what are you doing disney what's going on um i did love esmeralda um so we're back in the in the uh, 
speedboat. And the lifeguard lets his friend drive, um, even though she's really bad about it. And um, and then out in the sailboat, the kids are fooling around and they push the dad in the water and the sailboat flips over and they're all splashing around and it's cute. On the shore, another man in the cutest little striped bathing bottoms oh calls out. Oh my god, there's so many short, <laughs> little shorty shorts the in little this movie. Little short shorts. Um, he calls out to the family and says, John, they have to go. The doc is going to be there soon. The quote doc. Uh, the kids are excited that their aunt Martha, the doctor, is visiting, but their cousin, Ricky, won't be there because he's with his dad. 1980s divorce. Big deal, you know. The kids. The fact that Aunt Martha's character is only a doctor so she can falsify, like, medical documents uh, later in the movie. Like, it is so <laughs> sloppy. It's you like, know? <laughs> it's, yeah, they say doctor, so we know she's a doctor. That's We're like, it. doc. Yeah, we get it. Um, the teens are not paying attention as they drive this speedboat and they're headed straight for the family in the water. The, the kid on the jet ski is like, hey, and they're not paying attention. And then they see them too late and they run them over. John is dead in the water, and then one of the kids' life jackets, all cut up to pieces, floats up, suggesting that one of the children died, too. The best uh, part it, is that Dolores, or Dolores, who's the water skier, it's just, like, cross-cut with her going, somebody help them, please! Oh, yeah, in the water. Please! Like, what you... And everyone and she, just stares. And she's supposed to be, like, in deep water, you know, with her life per- life preserver on. But you can tell she's standing in like four feet of water because it and it's like not moving at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's so funny. I it's yeah, it's just like one of the many weird performances. Is like her just like for so long for like fifteen seconds at least. It's a long shot, and I mean the shot of the speedboat going over the people is like actually pretty hilarious because it's just like boop boop boop. Right. And his arm is out. Like, you see it go over his arm. I'm like, what was the reason? I don't know. Um, So then we, eight years later, comes up um, and we're at a quaint colonial house. Aunt Martha is in a kicky beret. Uh, She calls for Richard and Angela to come down. She's taking them to summer camp and they're running late. And that wouldn't do it all. Uh, This house looks like Betty and Ron draper's house from Mad a Man. little yeah. yeah it's like uh i think they're in new york or new jersey so how do we explain aunt martha the doctor um she my uh, she's the little edie of horror movies if you've never seen gray gardens what are you doing with your life but she's like got this like like old yeah like old manhattan accent it's like what it's like a great gatsby accent she's like putting on an accent as if she's a character in the and great her gatsby. face and then doesn't move like she's made up to the nines like tons of makeup big red lips but her face doesn't move and she talks like a great gatsby robot essentially and mm-hmm. she stares at her hands a lot like She's yeah. She's got red painted nails, and she's always moving them. It's very her pre- performance is very theatrical and very spacey, which is why she's like little Edie because she's. But it's the out only there. stylized theatrical performance in the movie. <laughs> Otherwise, people are barely acting. It's just so confusing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Every the other portrayals are like eighties slasher movie acting. Like it's nothing. 
but she's like in an off, off, off Broadway performance of Up the Down Staircase or something. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. I'm confused. Um, so, so she's yeah, she's put a like a little string around her finger to remember to give the kids their physicals. Um, and she tells them not to tell anyone she wrote them. And Angela is very quiet, doesn't say a word. And Ricky's like an average, like, like loud little boy. They do look like she, they're related to each other. They do. They did a good job in casting, I guess. One thing about this movie that was successful. Um, at the camp, the kids are running out of the buff- buses. A buff young guy named Ronnie and an old oh, guy. Oh my god, I Ronnie. have such a boner for Ronnie! He's, He's so muscly. He is like the archetype for Ken Marino's character in Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. <laughs> like, he With is the cutoffs. The dreamy, yeah, like 80s uh, camp counselor. And my dude has compassion. Okay, he has a heart. He's level headed. Mm-hmm. He advocates for the marginalized, like, Ronnie, man. I love him. He also has, like, a very, yeah, he's got, like, a New Jersey accent and face. He yeah, looks he like a... is, like, what do they call it on um on Jersey Shore? He's, like, he's a juice head. Juice head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Such a juice head. Um, I watched Jersey Shore, just like everybody else in 2009. Um, I'm trying to think of the... The, the note at bed <laughs> Ron Sam at bed it's like Ron was flirting with other women kissing and rubbing up on them hold on let me see and if then I can put find his it. put his head between two I don't remember something offensive okay but... Snooky's letter to Sammy I'm gonna read it do it our listeners this is what they want somebody put it on a decorative pillow so that's good okay Sam, the first night at bed when you left, Ron made out with two girls and put his head in between a cocktail waitress's breasts. Also was grinding with multiple fat women. (laughs) 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 When you left crying at clutch, Ron was holding hands and dancing with a female and took down her number. Multiple people in the house know, therefore you should know the truth. Oh my god, iconic. So bad. I forgot. Uh, Grinding with multiple fat women. (laughs) I'm going to get that tattooed on me. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Snooki at the internet cafe, like with her nails. With her big nails. Clackety clacking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Gonna, Everyone's gonna be like, okay, shut the fuck up. I, I'm gonna post a screenshot of this to the Instagram right now. Do it. Uh, okay, so so Ron, uh, also a New Jersey name. Ronnie. Whoa, Ronnie. Ronnie. I wonder um, if Ronnie from Sleepaway Camp likes to grind with multiple fat women. Probably. Who would? <laughs> I bet he probably does. He's probably a feeder, you know. <laughs> That's his fetish. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. So Ronnie and an old guy who presumably owns the camp uh, is smoking a cigar. His name is Mel. And he they're yelling at the kids to run faster, um, even though the kids are already running. I don't know. The cooking crew stands out front watching. Um, the head cook is fat and bad and a pedophile. And he remarks that 
the girls can't be too young, and where he comes from, they called them baldies. Ben, the old wise black guy, calls him out, but then also laughs him off. So we've got lots of terrible portrayals. I don't um, even know how we're going to even talk about all this. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but the only black people in this movie are part of the kitchen staff, and the only one of them who talks is Ben. Uh, and and ben they is, only appear for four scenes, maybe. Ben is essentially like Samuel L. Jackson and Django, like the congenial, compliant, like, black character. Uh, right. There is a term that's also offensive, but, you know, I there's like... shall not say the term, but you know we, the term. Nobody should say it, say it but everyone knows. Um... So a friend of Ricky's, Paul, meets up with Ricky and Angela and remarks that Ricky's ex, Judy, has big boobs now. Um, this is the Ricky, kind of thing that, like, fucked me up when I was a kid, too, because oh yeah, I had huge boobs, like, huge, huge, huge boobs by the time kids I was 12. Kids were talking about them. Well, yeah. but then the, when kids would call, like, boobs like Judy's big, I was like, oh my god, I'm like a literal <laughs> freak of nature. Like, it's so, di- like, so damaging. And I was Angela, like, looking down, waiting for them to come in, and spoiler alert, they never did. (laughs) They never did. Do you think we would have liked each other if we met at sleepaway camp? I was kind of an asshole when I was was that age. I was kind of an asshole. I probably would have been scared of you. Um, Well, because I was, like, kind of the same, but I wasn't as nice. Like, puberty, like, really fucked me up. And I developed really early, and I think, like, attention from boys made me into an asshole, as it does. You know what I mean? I think the same thing actually kind of happened to me. Yeah, so I thought my shit was better than everybody else's. I still think my shit's better than anyone else's. It is. By the way, I couldn't shower for five days because I was too depressed, and I just did it yesterday. Like I was saying before we started recording, my self-worth literally like yo-yos from thinking that I am the best person that ever walked the planet uh, to just being like, you should dig a hole and live in it, essentially. Yeah, same. When I'm like, yeah, sometimes when I listen to people talk and I'm like, I'm so much smarter than you. And then other times I'm like, wow, I'm the biggest piece of shit that's ever like thought any, you know, like it's ever had a thought. I can't. But, you know, that's part of life. We're all just pretending we're better than we are. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone is, nothing means anything, you guys. <laughs> we're not doing great here at the Spooky Succubus. Sorry, path. you guys. At least this letter from uh, Snooky to Sammy will help cheer you up. If you've ever felt like a piece of shit, listen to our podcast. Ronnie's Maybe you'll get a... <laughs> Ron is worse. Um, so, so then Ricky is walking Angela to her bunk, um, and he calls out to Judy, who ignores him because she's talking to older boys. Um, and then he calls her a bitch. And inside the girls' bunk, we meet counselors Megan, Susie. Meg's an asshole, and Susie's nice. And that's all we know about them. And I think that's pretty much all we'll ever know. No. Yeah, they don't get any characterization. Uh, Angela, who still has not said a word, is just staring at Judy. Judy gets creeped out, and Meg calls her a winner, sarcastically. Susie is trying to be nice and conversational. Um, Meg, Meg is really abusing her power. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this in more detail later, but why are you working with children, Meg? I mean, she's also a child. Like, they're teenagers, but yeah, like gross who promoted her to counselor is she a child because she's having like a full-on full-fledged sexual relationship with a 65 year old is she underage 
how old are camp counselors? Are Does you a know? camp counselor? If you're a camp counselor, let us know. Call 1-800. No. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I would assume that they're like 17 years old. It's like Pause. A, Should we get a 1-800 number, though? Yes. <laughs> you call me whenever. Maybe I'll call you, you know? Um, <laughs> like the pay phones that ring out in horror movies. It's just us trying to get people to talk to us. <laughs> hey, do you have a second to talk about the matriarchy? Um, so at a lunch, at lunch a few days later, we learned that Angela hasn't eaten or talked since she got there. Ronnie, our, you know, the lovely angel that he is, is trying to be nice. So he takes her to the kitchen to get something special to eat. He introduces her to Artie, the fat cook from before. Ronnie should Um, know better. Like, Ronnie should be like, you can't be in a room alone with Artie. That's just like rules, you know? Um, they really just like kind of like I know Artie. Well, we'll get into it after. I'll tell this and then I'll say my my piece about Artie. Um, Ricky in inquires with Meg about where Angela is and she tells him that she wouldn't eat. Um, and then makes fun of her and then Ricky stands up for her and then goes to look in the kitchen. Ben is called away, leaving Angela alone with Artie, who takes her to the pantry. He starts unzipping his pants just as Ricky comes in. Artie tells him to be quiet, and the two kids run out. Later in the kitchen, Artie is checking on a huge pot of boiling water. Uh, he has to get on a chair to check on it. I will say, it. God love him for making, literally shucking and making, like, fresh corn on the cob for all of the campers. It's a lot of work. Like, is that really how you boil that much water? It doesn't seem practical. Uh, Wouldn't you have, like, a... I don't know. what. It seems like I feel like there should be a better solution but i can't put my finger on what it would be like 18 separate small pots of water i don't know but it's a huge it's a pot of water that's bigger than me it's huge um and so he has to stand on a chair to look inside of it and then ben leaves to go do something and Artie's alone and we see a killer pov we're back at it from Black Christmas, from Halloween, from Friday the 13th, all the good slashers did it. This is literally like a bad version of Friday the 13th that somebody yeah. just like spiked with like PCP, essentially. Yeah, it's like, and Friday the 13th isn't like the best, I mean, I love it, but it's not the best movie ever. So it's like, you're just like further diminishing, you're like diminishing returns on this one concept of like a slasher at a camp movie um so i don't remember where i was okay so pov of the killer they are hiding in the kitchen they and then as already standing on the chair looking in the hot water they start pulling it out slowly and he has to grab onto the shelf to hang on and then they pull the chair all the way out from under him and he brings the boiling water down on himself and starts screaming um he's taken away by ambulance and mel pays ben and all the cooks to lie about what happened in the boys bunk ricky pulls a butt prank on a nerd named mozart oh my god they're so mean to mozart for so much of this movie and there is no like resolution to that plot line yeah yeah, I was like, poor Mozart. Like, just leave this. Just leave boy him alone. His, he wants to play video his video game. game. Yeah. Uh, Jean, who is also attractive, is wearing Jean. a little belly shirt. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Jean is the absolute archetype for the Ken Marino, part like yeah. character. 
they're kind of the same character. Only Jean's a counselor and Ronnie is like the main counselor. Jean literally has like sparkling eyes. Did you notice that? Yeah, he's very and he's very hairy. I love I love lots of body hair. But he has he's wearing a belly shirt, which is like, let's bring that back. He's wearing a, ma- a crop top. For yeah, men I don't that he see why himself. like men's basketball shorts ever got long. They should have stayed like right below testicle length at all times, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like the baggy look, even though that's Caesar's like main outfit is baggy basketball shorts. No, I want short shorts from everyone. Little short shorts, yeah. Um, the rival bunk leader, Bill. Oh, no, wait. Gene comes in wearing his belly shirt and tells his bunk that they're playing a basketball game right now. And they're it's against a rival bunk. Um, and their leader, slash, I think he's a counselor, Bill, um, tells Ricky he wants to bet $5 a guy that they'll win. And, and then he says, eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. That's my favorite. <laughs> so dumb. I was like, wow, you're crazy. <laughs> so good at comebacks. Um, Bill, this and this is the four minute long baseball scene that nobody needed. There, um, where think, things happen. I think the setup is like, okay, these two like bunks are rival bunks. So then it makes sense right. later when they're mean to Angela, but it's four minutes of just baseball. A lot of things happen that I wrote down that I'm not sure that I wrote none like, of it down. Bill hits a ball, everyone's surprised that Mozart got it, and then Ricky's team wins, and everybody's bad. The end. I wrote uh, very long baseball scene. <laughs> uh, later in the activities hall. I don't know what you call this place where they go. I was calling it like the rec hall. Rec hall. Okay, that's good. Rec if you hall. guys have been to summer camp and you're not poor you... like we were, <laughs> let us know. I went to summer camp once. It was a church camp. Actually, so. that's not true. I went to church camp as well. But it's not like the kind of summer camp where they have nice things or where you like stay for a long time you know it was like we went i went with family friends of ours and they went to this church and i didn't go to that church but it was like it was just like a christian camp where we they made us like say grace but the and like did some you of our saved? stuff is like we made crosses no it wasn't like that intense and all of the kids wanted to make out it wasn't like anyone was like Mine was, like, super evangelical, anything. and I feel like that you no. kind of, like, had to get saved. You had to, like, fit in by being like, yeah, I love God, you know? <laughs> no, yeah, it was very, it was just, like, a touch here and there. Yeah, we had to say grace, and then we, like, macrameed some crosses, and that like, was really it. And, like, God's eyes. Yeah. Those were the but, shit. Um, it was kind of fun. It was only for, like, I think I stayed a week, but um, that was my only experience. So, and then I went to outdoor ed, which was fun. Did you do you have that in Connecticut? We probably do, but as you may know from knowing me, I'm not really like the outdoor ed type. So right, I know. No, I'm gonna make you go camping once. But we so in Arizona, I think it's like statewide. Children from like suburbs or the cities go and take outdoor ed, and they go and like stay in these cabins in the woods and they teach you about scat and hiking and stuff and it's fun. And what is fun. your fondest memory about scat? Um that I I don't have any cuz I always wanted to find some and I never do. So 
someday. I'm like, I want to find a, some deer poop, and then I don't because I'm not looking at the ground. So. <laughs> well, that's maybe why you, I trip over uh, stuff too. Maybe you need to rejigger your priorities. I do. Category. I have bad spatial awareness too, so like I can't. I'm gonna be looking all directions. I just walked into the door. I like I walk into the door all the time, and sometimes I think it's like a center of gravity thing. Uh, but sometimes I think I just am stupid and don't look where I'm going. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to say it's like a medical issue, so I don't feel so stupid. Aw. Okay. Me too. Well, um, um, so everybody's in the rec hall and the rival bunk is trying to go skinny dipping, um, but they only have dudes and they need some chicks. So one of the jackasses, Kenny, suggests they ask Angela, and they all giggle about it. And then Kenny and Mike go to ask her, and she says nothing and just stares at them. Then they start taunting and teasing and mocking her. Ricky walks in, sees this, runs up to defend her, and then Ricky and Paul get in a fight with the rival bunk. Yes. Gene pulls Ricky off and takes him to the infirmary. Paul stays and talks to Angela. He's kind and says he's sorry to hear about her family. Uh, she seems to like him, and when he says goodnight to her, she utters her first words, goodnight back. Judy's looking on, and she's pissed about it for some reason. It has nothing to do with you, Judy. Yeah, that you're not a part of it. Uh, Bill and the rival bunk go skinny dipping without the girls who rightfully protest and just stand on the shore looking on unamused. Uh, the two shitbags who teased Angela, Kenny, and Mike are smoking weed, and then Kenny takes a girl, Leslie, out in a canoe. I don't know why Leslie agreed to it. Um, she seems smarter than that. Maybe he offered her weed. Maybe. That's a good reason to get into a canoe. No, it's not. But um, <laughs> yeah, Take it back, I under- It's understandable. <laughs> um, Kenny rocks the canoe and turns it over, and then Leslie swims back to shore and tells the guys they're jackasses. Kenny, like, pops his head underneath the overturned canoe and then starts, like, singing and messing around. Like, no one can hear you. And then a head pops up in the water with him, but we don't see who it is. And then they drowned him and no one realizes. The next morning, Ronnie is pissed that the whole waterfront area is a mess and that someone left a canoe out. Oh, my God. He, turns it over. he is, like, exactly. He acted exactly how I would act. Like, Fuck the boss. Like, I am not getting paid enough to do this shit. I can't see his old ass over here. Yeah, yeah. I think he said fat ass, which I don't condone, but definitely fuck the man. Not that ageism is better, but. um, So. We're not here to talk about ageism today. I don't have the capacity. Um, he turns over the canoe and discovers Kenny bo- Kenny's body, which is a really good death scene that I don't think that we like gets enough appreciation because the he boys looks were super joking dead. About, yeah, he looks super dead, and the boys were joking about water snakes getting the girls, i.e., their penises, and then a water snake crawls out of his nose, and I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was pretty good. I think the effects are pretty good. Everyone looks pretty dead. Pretty dead when yeah. they're dead, right? Yeah. Um, the cop. The cop comes and says it appears the boy drowned and Mel wants to treat it like an accident and he does not want to hear otherwise and he Mel runs goes off. off. Yeah. Who is he? Congress. But then. Um, okay. Also the cop. Did you has notice? Has a fakest mustache. Oh my God. It's like literally shiny grease paint. It was the first thing I said. I was like. <laughs> like oh. they got it at party city like they they was like it's like grease paint that they just kind of stuck some fake hairs into here and there it's so funny so it was such a choice like either hire a man who can like grow a mustache or just leave him mustacheless he doesn't need a mustache 
I mean, like, I, I, get I it. enjoyed the mustache, but I don't think it needed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like this man must have a mustache. We must put the paint on his face or otherwise the movie's ruined. It was so funny. Okay, so the cop says they're going to run an autopsy and we'll call the re- call back with the results. Um, Which they never do. Th- they never do. And the camp stays open. Angela is watching the girls play volleyball when Paul sits down to talk to her. She's happy to see them and she's having a conversation with him. He asks her to beat his date to the movie later um, and she says yes. And then Judy is upset that Angela doesn't have to play volleyball and gets to talk to boys. So she tells Meg and Meg tells her she's not allowed. If she's not going to participate, she has to just sit there and stare. Um, Susie steps in and defends Angela, who is also talking to Susie now. So she's opening up a little bit. After the movie, Paul walks Angela back to her bunk and pulls her aside to kiss her. She does not seem to like this. Without consent. She does not seem to like this. And then he asks her if she's mad. She says no. And then he kisses her again. Like she's not into it, you know? She doesn't like it. Um, Judy teases Paul about Angela and himself. And then in Rick's bunk, they are breaking Mozart again, who then chases Ricky around with a knife. Um... Gene steps in and takes it away, which is the best. The only reason this is important is because the knife makes an appearance later, but I didn't even you catch only that, really actually. know that <laughs> if you're, like, really, really paying attention. That's the only way. Um, at the beach, Paul and Angela are all smitten, and Judy is a brat. So it seems that Angela does like Paul a little bit. She was just maybe reserved about her first kiss, but we'll see. Don't surprise kiss anybody. Yeah, just Next, ask first. Yeah. Meg teases Angela about not swimming, and Angela doesn't say anything. Meg shakes her, and then Ronnie intervenes. At the bunk, Judy teases Angela about not showering with the other girls. She is telling her she hasn't reached puberty. She might be, quote, queer. She's hairless, etc. Susie tells her to stop, and then they yell in each other's faces until Susie slaps Judy, which is, like, kind of what everyone wants to do. I mean, Judy deserved to be slapped, yeah. To be slapped, yeah. Um, Angela leaves to find Ricky as she walks by the rival boy bunk. They're on the roof and they throw a water balloon at her. Ricky runs up and starts screaming at the boys. Um, and then Paul runs to Angela. Mel restrains Ricky and then takes canteen privileges from them. I don't know what that means. I don't know what canteen privileges are. I think it means they can't get candy. Oh, Okay. Canteen is where the candy is. Because I was thinking water, and I was like, you shouldn't take water from Yeah, like, people have to drink water. Right, right. Um, Everyone is headed down to dinner, but Billy has to, quote, take a wicked dump first. Um, So he's alone in the bunk stall. Relatable. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And then someone sticks a pole, like a wooden pole, or maybe like a broom handle. I don't know. uh, Through the handle of of the bathroom stall so it can't open. They cut a hole through the screen window behind him and drop, and then they have a bee's nest on a stick, and then they shake it through the hole in the screen and then drop it in the stall, and then he's stung to death within minutes. It um, should have taken longer. Yeah. Unless uh, he has also a severe you allergy. crawl out. Unless he has a severe allergy, but we see his body with his face covered in bees, and bees, like, crawling out of holes in his skin. Like, that... Is he made of honey? Is yeah. he made of bee pollen? I don't understand. Right. Like, um, I as I said, out. like, this isn't Candyman. You can't weaponize bees. Like, you don't have the capacity. Like, he could have been stung really badly 
and then had an allergy and died, I would have been on board with that. Yeah, but, like, just having bees, like, find your face to be the best place to make their new colony I mean, we does had, not make sense to me. We had a four-minute baseball scene, and we can't, like, take any time to establish that Billy is allergic to bees. Like, what are we doing? You right. Know? They could have had a bee at the baseball game. And he bee been, at like, the baseball game. Get that bee game. away from me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> My new single on iTunes. Um, <laughs> so... Mel and Ronnie are discussing closing the camp because all but 25 kids have left. Although they say that, but it looks like a lot more kids are there than 25. But Yeah, like knows. eight of them go camping, for God's sake. Yeah. I um, So Mel says he's finished, and then he starts babbling that he's known all along. I've seen the hate in his eyes. I'll stop him, is what he tells Ronnie. And Ronnie's like, um, you're talking a little crazy. Yeah, and Let's like... everybody calm down. They're like 11, you know? Yeah. Um... Behind one of the bunks, Angela is lurking around and a POV approaches, but it's just Paul. Angela is scared of the killer. Paul takes her down to the lake where they kiss and run around. On the ground, Paul lays on top of her and Angela and they are kissing and then he goes to unbutton her shirt and she refuses, but he's like, "Um, I'm not doing anything. And then he keeps unbuttoning her shirt. So uh, Paul's a sexual predator and is not a good guy. Um, Angela's eyes glaze over and we see a flashback of two children giggling, the two children from the beginning of the movie giggling and watching John, the dad, and the striped bathing bottom guy kissing in bed and, like, cuddling and stuff. And then, then the two children are in another bed facing each other and one of them is pointing their finger at the other's chest. And then... I don't know why. Don't ask. I don't know what that means. Um, and then... We're back at the camp. They capture, they play capture the flag, and Paul asks what's up with Angela, and he tries to hug her, but she pushes him off and gets upset and walks away. Then Judy approaches Paul um, and is trying to hit on him. Ricky chases after Angela and tries to get her involved in the game. He has a plan to sneak through the woods. They split up for the attack plan, and Ricky finds Paul and Judy kissing <gasps> Angela. <gasps> J'accuse Paul. Disgusting. He's not good. And then Angela finds them, and then Paul chases after her. Ricky calls Judy an asshole, which is also true. Later on the shore, um, Paul apologizes to Angela, but Judy approaches again and tells Angela that Paul called her a prude. Judy then taunts Angela about swimming, and Meg walks up and joins, because why not? Why not I abuse guess, children? Yeah. Uh, Meg throws a screaming Angela in the water. Ricky tries to go save her, but Mel has grabbed him because he thinks that Ricky is the killer and he's telling him he's going to ruin him. And he always knew that he was the killer. But I don't guess know what who, he's basing this on. Guess who saves the day? Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie runs up um, and saves the day. Uh, later on that night, Ronnie is handing out counselor assignments and Meg has the night off. She goes and talks to Mel and says that he owes her dinner and she's going to come by his place at nine. So, yeah, Mel, who is well into his 60s, and Meg, who is m- maybe 18, maybe not, have a date. So there's that. We couldn't get a B in the baseball game, but we got this gross. weird. Yeah, it's like bizarre, you know. Um, uh, one of the other counselors, Eddie, has to take the younger kids up camping Um And they all settle in to sleep, but two of the kids don't like it because they're cold. So he drives just those two back and leaves the other kids there sleeping. And then we get a POV of the killer, and then it, um, like, hones in on a hatchet that Eddie left in his bag. 
And like, and why did you leave a hatch in your bag? Why don't you have a tent? Why don't you just let the kids sleep in the car? Um, why? Why did he have to take these kids camping anyway? I don't understand. None of them seem that excited about it. I don't no. know. I don't know. Um, and then Paula apologizes to Angela again, and then she tells him to meet her at the waterfront after the social that's going on tonight. Uh, Mel can't find Meg, so he goes to look for her in the bunk where she, bunks where he finds Judy and Mike, or finds Judy. Um, she and Mike were just kidding, but Mike kissing, but Mike hid under the bed. She tells Mel that um, the last time she saw Meg, she was showering in one of the empty bunks next door. Um, Mike leaves because he doesn't want to get caught, and Mel finds Meg's dead body. Oh, wait, did I say that already? I can't remember. Did I skip over a whole part? I don't think so. Um, well, they... at some point. Yeah, okay, so that's what happened. And I, I did skip this one line. Before, so Meg had this date with Mel, and so she had to shower, but there was a long line for the shower, oh, so she yeah, had to sorry. use one of the empty bunks. I did skip over this line in my notes. She had to use one of the empty bunk showers instead, and then the killer stabs her um, while she's in the shower with Mozart's knife. So Mel finds her dead body, and then there still go. thinks it's Ricky. Yeah, there we go. Now we're up to date. She's, he, Mel still thinks it's Ricky, um, and then Judy is alone in her bunk again she's curling her hair in the dark in her pajamas um, yeah in her pajamas and then the door opens up and the killer who looks a lot like i like it's like an amalgamation of a couple people they punch her and then put her and then kill her with her curling iron they like put a pillow over her head and then you see the shadow of the curling iron like do they stick it in her vagina yeah is that what we're led to believe that's what okay. happened yeah Oh, God. And then she dies, and then they hide her under the bed. Uh, Eddie comes back to find all the little campers dead. Like, super dead, yeah. Like, very bloody sleeping bags. Um, He vomits and then runs back calling for help. Ricky goes to the rec hall to get a snack because dinner made him sick, and he said he's been laying down all night. As he's walking back to the bunk, uh, Mel grabs him and starts smacking him and punching him and yelling. Uh, Ronnie gets a phone call and then seems upset. Uh, he starts gathering everyone around and rounding everyone up. Mel appears to have killed Ricky and then stumbles into the archery range where he sees the killer and says, it can't be you, and gets shot through the throat with an arrow. Goodbye, Mel. Bye. The mustachioed cop is back, and everyone is trying to find the kids, including Judy, the kid, all of the kids, including Judy and Angela, who are missing. Paul is waiting for Angela, who tells him she wants to go swimming. Um, She tells him to take his clothes off, and she starts to unbutton her shirt. Uh, The cop finds Ricky's candy wrapper and then finds Ricky, who's still alive somehow. He's just all bruised and bloody. And then the counselor finds Meg's body in the shower. Um, We get a really Yeah, oh, because Mel just left it there. He's like, gotta go. Gotta go kill this child, who I'm sure did it. Um, Ronnie and Susie are out looking for Angela and Judy still. And uh, they find Angela 
sitting with her back to them, uh, facing the water, and we see that she's stroking Paul's head, who's in her lap. We have a flashback to Aunt Martha giving the surviving child when it came home. They came home from the accident um, with like a a bandage around their head, and mm-hmm. she says, "Yes, I've always dreamed of a little girl like you." She says she doesn't need another boy, so Peter will be a girl um, because it'll make Richard, her husband, happy. Um, A naked, bloody, and growling Angela stands up, and we see they have have decapitated Paul, and Angela has a penis. Ronnie says, oh, my God, she's a boy. Angela stands, open mouth, snarling, famous scene, and then... It's we over, end. yeah. And what a ride it was. I don't the know. The first time I saw this movie, I full-on did scream at the end. Like, it's a good <laughs> it's a good twist. But, I mean, it's very problematic and damaging to um, many, many identities of people. But twist. Good twist. But twist. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of slashers were coming around around this time. Halloween was like a huge hit. Friday the 13th. So everyone was like, I want to do that too. But how do I make mine different? And then good old Rob Hiltzik. He's not well. He's unwell. Um, I don't know. (laughs) This is just like, as I said, uh, completely off the wall. Um, To start, obviously, it's extremely transphobic. uh, And it props up these sort of like really weird ideas about gender dysmorphia because obviously i mean we don't really know what peter slash angela's pronouns are but we that's know why which is yeah at the beginning i was gonna like refer to angela as they them because we don't know how they identify and it's yeah it's all bad and all weird and i don't know it's so bad so uh, there is this sort of like underlying uh, kind of like causation that they in, like refer to that having been raised in a non-traditional gender role has turned uh, Angela into a killer. So what? Because they also <laughs> paint Angela as a very mild mannered child that doesn't speak Right. So the continuity is like 0%. So, yeah. So it's – I hesitate to even – like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, transphobia and transmisogyny in this movie. But I also hesitate because we don't know how they identify. We don't know how Angela slash Peter identifies. Right. They may not be a trans girl or they may – you know, so it's hard to say, like, but they're painting – transness as grotesque an animal because when we get this final reveal that's also sensationalized yes um they are animalistic and snarling like they're yeah. no longer human and like suddenly the very well-kempt hair is completely wild and yeah this like very animal look in their eyes but we also <laughs> forget like this movie makes us forget that this person is a fucking victim of child abuse so right uh it's sort of like wait how can it's it makes no sense because they do paint uh aunt martha as an abuser like she's obviously 
weird. Like, they paint her as other. They definitely make it clear that, like, she's an eccentric. Not that being eccentric makes you an abuser, but they categorize her as other. So they establish her as the abuser, and yet they still let the viewer um, kind of, like, internalize that Angela is a murderer because of her, or excuse me, their like non-traditional gender identity or whatever they've like been forced into by their caretaker which is also like if if this was the intent of the movie it could be a commentary on trans identity violence that if you push the wrong like a trans person comes forward as trans and then you push a different gender identity on them, that's violence. And so it could be a comment on that violence, but they're also painting this victim as the ultimate murderer and as an animal. So like I, like I just, it's confusing. It just makes no sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And then like, so this article that I read um, by Kale M. Keegan for Flow Journal, which is, um, like, a scholarly, like, academic journal called um, In Praise of the Bad Transgender Object Sleepaway Camp. Um, And Keegan is a assistant professor of women, gender, and sexual studies and liberal studies at, at a university. And so they argue that it's a film about the monstrosity of a white cisgender woman um who is trying to police other genders and so it's not a bad film for trans people because the main uh the main villain is a cis het white woman and i'm like okay but we're really reaching like that is like how can you reach across miles and miles of that but then i'm i don't what no that makes no sense they they also talk about the child being addressed by others as Angela, even though that's not how they identify. And so that's why they're not able to communicate freely. But then the movie is really just painting this child as someone who's very, very shy and maybe hasn't give, been given the opportunity to explore their gender or feels like in a maybe they do identify as a girl or now or maybe they're gender fluid or maybe they're sexually fluid and they don't know how to explore that but as we progress we learn that Angela does like Paul and because of her relationship with him she starts opening up more and so it's I'm so confused like it's just so confusing and also like it also degrades it also degrades Angela as a character that the thing that pulls her out of her shell is like a cishet man and that right. she isn't like really able to explore her gender identity freely independently, but they are able to come out of their shell when just a cishet dickhead is halfway polite to them. That's just a really like frustrating representation. I think it would be more interesting if they were given the opportunity to be away from Aunt Martha. And so because of that, they are able to explore their gender identity and their sexuality. That would be more interesting. But it's the Paul that gives them this like, which also kind of but like as like a teenager, someone who's just now understanding their sexuality and their gender, that makes sense. It's like, oh, I'm attracted to this person. Right. Maybe I'm also attracted to this person or maybe I kind of feel like they are like me or you know like it just 
I wish I just it doesn't make any sense. And yeah, like Martha as the abuser, Angela is now free of their abuser, but still instead of having any kind of self like introspection or ability to push beyond the boundaries of their upbringing, they immediately become a savage like murderer. What? Right. What? So, yeah, instead of instead of like this kicking off like because it's a revenge, it's a revenge plot, or you know, like that they are <laughs> a tenuous Angela Peter plot at best. Yeah. Are sort of. I mean, they also murder a bunch of little children, but they, for the most part, murder people who have done wrong by them. But like, I think the only death that I'm like, okay, cool, that's cool, is Artie, because yeah, he Artie was is a sexual predator, sexually, and also like. How long has Artie worked at this camp? How many other people has he abused? Right. Gross. And so I just wish that instead of murdering people, Angela Peter then just, like, decided that they had room to grow. But they're also being bullied. So it's like they they were still being oppressed by somebody. We're still, still being oppressed by cisgender heteronormative ideals through these other campers so like they have not truly escaped oppression and repression and i and why do we why did we make them the the villain i don't understand the campers no oh angela Angela peter why are they the villain like why i don't know like you put a child that's been abused and raised with like gender dysmorphia in a non-traditional way in the most heteronormative situation of all time which is the like very clear gender divide that and gender binary that you see in like American summer camp and then when they have a difficult time adjusting the only recourse is to be super regressive and make them become like animalistic and murderous it's just really right. like reductive and also just so confusing like what are you trying to say to me you know right i yeah so like yes because like summer camp and school and any place where you put a lot of children who have no idea who they are or what their gender may or may not be and like then you make them all into you like shove them in these boxes and in these categories and then you introduce Mm -hmm. A person who has experienced violence and abuse and then who is struggling with their identity into that situation and then you make that victim the villain is How much does Ricky know? (laughs) You know? I don't think anything at all. I think it would make more sense if Ricky was the killer, but I kind of like Ricky, so. Right. I mean, I <laughs> I feel like perpetrating sexual violence against someone with a curling iron is just, like, so outside of the realm of what an abused child that doesn't even, like, understand their own gender identity because they've been brainwashed is just, like, a really tenuous connection to make, right. you know? <laughs> uh, it's just weird. I am... Generally glad to see toxic white people die on screen. Definitely glad that Artie died. Um, But it's just like imagining this in front of a 1983 audience is like the most confusing thing that like I just can't get my brain around it, you know? (laughs) 
And it seems just, it seems like just a way to shock people. And I don't think that using transness and trans misogyny as a, you know, like it just doesn't, it's, that doesn't gel well with me. It's no. like using a trans body as something to be and grotesque and to stare at. While we're on the subject, queerness, because obviously right. it's sensationalized oh, yeah. like, that, um, that Angela and Peter's father had uh, like a same sex lover. It's like very weirdly like focused on like they have this sort of like granular focus on the fact that her father was with another man. And, and then, so somehow, like, what are you trying to tell me? It leached into their brain or something? Like, what the fuck are you trying to imply by this? You I, know. So it seems like that we only get one scene that makes it very clear that these two, that her father and her his partner, who doesn't even get a name, um, little shorts had a little little stripy shorts. They had a relationship and. The children were fine. Like, they, the only reason right. that... And it's sort of painted as, like, a pretty functional, happy family in the first few frames of the movie. Right. But then there's, like, this really ominous flashback slash dream scene. And can someone help me understand what's happening? Because they're giggling and watching, and then the two of them are pointing at each other. So I don't understand why... I don't know. Like, yeah, are you? Are they trying to say it's bad? I do are they think trying that, to say that her their parents' queerness is uh, another thing that others it's like Angela's experience. Yeah, so I yeah. think that obviously Aunt Martha is like needs help, like psychological help. Please help her. So <laughs> right. So how is how is Martha fucking up Ricky? Like, did Ricky, like, stumble out of this family dynamic completely unscathed? Well, Ricky has the presumed, like, safe space of his father, whereas right. Angela is completely under the, like, custody of Aunt Martha. Um, and there's right. really no way for them to get any space from that situation. And probably they don't go when Ricky goes with his dad so um i don't know if this movie intentionally made these complicated family dynamics a thing but i'm definitely confused but yeah i'm so confused and it's also like, like really strange because again the queerness and like putting these queer bodies on display as something that is grotesque is definitely an aspect of why they're even represented at all but then it's also right. a super functional like happy family at the very beginning and it only becomes an issue later after <laughs> when someone is trying to push heteronormative cisgender yeah, ideals on after a child. Aunt Martha is abusing her because of exactly like a gender binary that uh, is a construction of society. Uh, also, like, okay, so if Angela slash Peter is not a trans girl and they identify as a boy, then we have the relationship between Paul and them as another queer relationship that's also ended in tragedy. I don't know. Like, it's just... I don't know. I think the problem with that is that Paul is not consenting. A shitbag. Well, he is a shitbag, yeah. but he's also not consenting to a queer relationship. 
like knowingly. Right. So there's just like so many layers to who is like the victim and who is the perpetrator in this movie. Because Paul isn't very concerned with anyone's consent either, clearly. And so uh, I'm just so But either way, Angela comes from a marginalized identity and Paul doesn't. Right. It's true. Um, But Ricky, I think, is, like, a pretty – I don't know. He just – maybe he does know something about their situation, but maybe he doesn't. And maybe he's just trying to be, like, a nice cousin and doesn't understand why his mom is so off the wall. And and he stands up for Angela, Peter – at every turn and only is only concerned with their safety and their happiness. So Ricky and Ronnie, the two Ricky and Ronnie heroes and of this movie. And Jean. Little shirt Jean. And Susie. Susie's pretty cool. I don't know. I don't Su- love- Susie's a little bit complicit in a lot of violence against children. That's true. I also don't I mean Judy's our slut, right? And I don't like when movies make the slut a bitch like let her be a slut she's a slut leave her also on. she's 13 like why are we right. hypersexualizing a literal child to what right. end they give her a lot of shirts that you can clearly see her nipples i don't through. need to I see know how old, a child's nipples yeah how old was that actor when this movie came out it seems like a this seems like a hotbed for pedophiles like it just is you see a lot of boy butts that i didn't need i didn't need that in my life no. i didn't want to see them and so, I don't know. I just don't. And I they mean, they literally. Pedophilia maybe the up at the very top. First, like, third count camp employee that we see is a pedophile. And I don't know. also the rest of the staff is obviously complicit because Artie complicit. is not holding back his, like, need to be having, like, inappropriate relationships with children. Like, he's a pedophile. He's saying, I'm a pedophile. And they're like, that's cool. You know, <laughs> yeah, but it's also like I don't appreciate that they characterized all of the cooks as complicit in this behavior, and they're it's black, very racist, and they're poor because they are excited about getting five more dollars a week, and they don't have any recourse because they are employed by what is he's probably a racist shitbag. Oh my god, Mel. I'm just realizing the depiction of Mel is extremely racist too, though, because. He's, like, obviously, like, a Jewish character that is just throwing money at problems, right, to make them go away. There's nothing right about this movie, you guys. It's true. Um, And, like, why aren't any of the – why are there only white children at this point? Why? I mean, I don't – it's upsetting. I'd also like to point out that uh, Aunt Martha is – where it's like the movie is very careful to remind us that she's divorced and doesn't have like a cis right. male influence like in her life, which is presumably like, oh, since the divorce, you know, she went totally insane and just started raising like a child in a gender identity that it's hasn't consented to. Like, it's cool, you right. know. <laughs> I think that's also like there's something to say if you're if your child wants to do something a certain way, like. If you if a child wants to wear a dress or doesn't want to wear a dress and wants to wear pants and you forcing them to do otherwise is also very abusive and problematic. And like it's sort of making a comment on that, but in the opposite way is that you're like making a kid wear something that they don't want to wear. I don't know. 
I don't know either. I have more questions than answers at this There's point. There's so many questions. Um, I don't know. What's up with Meg? You know? Like, right? what happened to why? her? Why? Yeah. Yeah, why? Why is she like this? I don't know. I don't know. And then, yeah, like, why, why are the female counselors, like, there has to be a binary of, like, good and slutty and bad, you know? Because Meg also has a date with Mel. So, like, I Which don't know. is fine, like... They seem really well matched. They're both like terrible people. Uh, good right. for good for them, but good for them. Like, why is there just pedophilia everywhere you turn in this movie? Mel is like sixty five, and Meg is like seventeen. Right? How old is she supposed to be? Not in her twenties. Like, what twenty year old is like go- going to be a camp counselor? I don't Ronnie. know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie. Ride or like die, 30. Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, I don't know what else I have to say about this movie. Probably nothing. I'm just Googling Ronnie from Sleepaway Camp. I mean, we didn't even talk about, like, the, like, we talked about a little bit in Friday the 13th, but, like, indigenous representations and exploitation and appropriation in American summer camps. I... Like, with Arawak. What's that about? What is that about? Yeah. And obviously they're on indigenous land and they're conscious of being on indigenous land. We all are on stolen land. Yes. Um, But there's obviously no respect, no like honoring of where the traditions come from. And I, yes, we did talk about this in Friday the 13th and it bears repeating again here today. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, how so how did the like family dynamic of john and his lover and the two children happen like and it's wherein when john died they the surviving child had to go live with an aunt and not like a mother figure is the mother figure dead are they not together is she just a surrogate i'm confused right are they twins are they twins no i think angela was older original angela oh gee angela right uh, I think that presumably, sorry, I'm yelling. Oh dear. I'm so bored. Um, <laughs> John's partner doesn't have any like biological relationship to the children, right? Because right. when John dies, he's not able to keep the surviving child, which is also sad. Yeah, it is really sad, and a reality of of partners today and in a lot of situations in the past and in in, Mm -hmm. in 1983 which is not that long ago right i don't know know where the biological mother is but i don't know i guess we just have to like like, would have done a better job in raising that child agreed yes i think that but then we wouldn't get this movie we wouldn't get ronnie ronnie's shining face on my television (laughs) Right. I've never seen any of the Sleepaway Camp um, sequels. I don't know what they're about, but most of them are also directed by Robert Hiltzik, So I am unwilling to watch anything else directed by this man, and I don't believe that I need any other Sleepaway Camp sequels. So I'm good. I'm going to yeah. cap it right here. Uh, that's my good. solemn promise to myself and to you, the listeners. <laughs> so don't ask us. Maybe in a couple years she'll have forgotten. Hey, what are we doing? Yeah. We'll still be here, I'm sure. Uh, what are nah. we doing next week? We don't even know. Who knows? What are we doing this week? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, what are we it's doing right now? It's seared into my brain. 
Um, I don't know. We could do another poll. Oh, should we do or... a poll? All right. You're listening to us from the past. This poll has already happened. So too late. So it's too late for too you to sad. vote in so it. Bad. Sorry. That's right. So, uh, again, I'm Abby. This is Rebecca. We are on Instagram at spooky succubus underscore cast. Our link tree is there. All the shits are there. Sorry, I'm a little tired today. I just climbed out of a depression hole this week, and I'm having kind of a hard time. Oh, we didn't fuck anything this I say fuck transphobia, fuck transmisogyny, fuck... The gender binary pedophiles pedophiles for sure and specifically arty today and arty absolutely and uh yeah fuck fuck poverty fuck uh systemic poverty and racism fuck Mm -hmm. uh colonization and stealing indigenous land for like frivolity at summer camps ew guys fuck not safely driving a speedboat you guys, he, come on! Lifeguard Craig should never have let Marianne drive that speedboat, and a lot of How shit. How do you know their names? Because <laughs> I watch with the captions on. I know you do. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'll, none of this would have unfolded if Marianne and Lifeguard Craig were being responsible. And honestly, fuck like homophobia too, because fuck homophobia. John's partner should have gotten that. Child. They were really nice together. They seemed like happy. They family were members. This is bullshit. Yeah. And uh, just remember, if you are driving a boat with a water skier, make sure to use those hand signals and that your water skier is still enjoying themselves, guys. Yeah. Poor Dolores. Yeah. This was so not her fault. Like, Jesus, she's traumatized forever because of this. Um, so, yeah. So, I don't know. Thanks for listening. Yeah. The March and April bonus episodes will be dropping as soon as I get my life together. I'm really sorry, Patreon people. I have not been doing well, <laughs> but everyone's I, okay, you know. I think I'm like no sort of back. I did take a shower yesterday, so I'm feeling a little better. You feel yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And I had a shower beer, had a Miller High Life, uh, and I dropped it like two seconds after I got into the shower on the tile floor. So. I'm fine. So did it shatter? Shattered, guys. Stinky nice. beer water with glass, and then the dog wanted to get in and figure out what was going on. It <laughs> was a whole thing, you guys. Nice. All right, we're going to go set up this poll for you. We're so okay, excited. Bye. bye. bye.